It's time to awaken your inner traveler and zip around the world as money is sent to the people who rely on it. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. My name is Julieta. Julieta, or Julieta, or how Americans like to call me Julieta. <laughs> I go by Julie. I grew up in the Dominican Republic with my mother and my grandmother. And at the age of 23, I moved to New York to follow my dreams. Julieta is a creative. Back in the Dominican Republic, the only jobs she could find were in call centers. But in New York, she's been working on films, in advertising, using her skills as a photographer. But like so many Dominicans in New York, she didn't neglect her family. For the longest time, I was taking care of my mom and my grandma being abroad. And I was basically, if there was a leak in the house, I had to pay for people to do work in the house. I basically had to do it from here. So I had to be like, okay, where do I send you money? Sending money home is one of the first things new immigrants from the Dominican Republic learn how to do once they land in New York. As soon as Julieta found a job, her surrogate mom in New York, Raquel, taught her all the tricks, like where you go to send your boxes versus where you go to send money. I think that sending and, and receiving money in the Dominican Republic, it's like probably the number one thing that people do. I don't know how to explain it. Before the digital revolution, sending money was complicated and even potentially dangerous. Sometimes, like, they disappear, especially if you're, like, from the countryside. I mean, I'm in the city, so it's, it's legitimately comfortable compared to, like, the countryside where they have to drive two hours just to get to that. So when the apps came along, smoothing out the process, people like Julieta were early adopters. I think that having that ability of, like, having an app that is able to deliver directly to their house is very useful. The fact that they get it delivered is a big plus. Big, big plus. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. I'm Andre Viscontis. On this podcast, we follow the money as it zips around the world, enabling our fellow humans to survive and thrive. And we talk to the experts who are building the tools that will transform the next generation of money movement. There's an argument to be made that our brains evolve to move our bodies, that we have a nervous system so that we can propel ourselves towards a better life, away from danger. Even the lowly amoeba motors around. And migration has been a feature of human history for as long as we've been able to track it. For most of that history, migration meant physically separating from those who stayed behind, often for life. And so early civilizations, like those in Egypt more than 4,000 years ago, or in China about 1,000 years later, developed postal systems. In ancient Rome, the cursus publicus allowed for messages to be sent all across the empire— and was intact well after its fall. But it's one thing for a powerful governor to send a far-off decree, and quite another for a daughter to send money home to her mom. We move to make things better, not only for ourselves, but also for those we love. And so we need safe and efficient ways of sharing that wealth. And when sending money home means that funds need to cross borders, where banking systems aren't necessarily easily connected, or where our loved ones might not have access to traditional banks, we need a different solution. Joining me now to talk about all the unique needs of those who rely on remittances 
and the latest innovations being developed to address them is Vice President of Visa Direct Latin American Caribbean, Breno Andrade, and Enrique Perez Alonso, co-founder and CEO of Paya, a company that enables international peer-to-peer payments from the U.S. to Latin America. Welcome, Breno and Enrique. Thank Thank you, you, Andrea. At the top of the show, we heard from Julieta. She lives in New York, and she sends money home to her family in the Dominican Republic. And she described how common this is in her community and how much easier it is today, thanks to digital technology, compared with even a decade ago when her grandmother would have to physically go to a store to pick up the cash. So before we get too deep into the weeds of the technology behind these improvements and what now allows Julieta to send money so efficiently, Bruno, can you just tell us what a remittance is? Yeah, typically when we're referring to remittance, you are saying about the act of sending money to someone else and typically this money is abroad. So what remittance is so important and has been growing so much is it's directly related to migration. So typically are people that go to another country to have a better life, to work temporarily, even expats, they have the need to send money back. So there are many mechanisms to send this remittance back. So what you have been seeing is that the new technology is allowing for the transaction to happen nearly in real time. And this is where where are you moving to right now? So Enrique, why don't you tell us a little bit about Paya does? And I can see you I can see you nodding along. How does Paya fit into this whole scheme? Paya is uh, what I'd like to say is uh, the new breed of money movement enablers. And what we do is we give customers in other countries a way to request and receive funds instantly from the US. So we work with different financial institutions in other countries and we give each one of their customers an invite link that they can send to their family members and request funds. Brent was saying that typically there's a seldom period. Well, that's why we're using these rails for a user experience. It's just so much better than having to wait hours or days to get your money. So that's uh, in a nutshell what we do. Can you walk me through, Enrique, like a kind of typical use case of someone, like who are the the majority of the customers who use your product and then how are you seeing them using it? Sure. Let me give you the example of Mexico, where somewhere between 18 and 25% of adults receive money from the U.S., And typically, they receive money from an immediate family member. It could be an extended family member. And they receive that money to help support their finances on a month-to-month basis. On average, they're receiving around $250 per month. Most of that goes to pay off food and basic necessities. So that's really helping support the local economies. What's going on is that the receiver is reaching out to the sender and saying, hey, can you send me the money? And today, like the old legacy system, people would go to store with cash and say, hey, I want to send money to this person. And then the person on the receiving side would have to go to store and get cash, which is not just inconvenient, it's also not safe in in many cases. That is a process that can sometimes get stuck and it's time consuming 
and it's not convenient. Yeah, that's right. The person we heard from at the top of the episode, Julietta, mentioned that sometimes it felt dangerous for her, especially in the sort of more rural areas of the Dominican Republic, where you have to travel a long way to get to one of these stores to pick up the money. And then you're kind of a target on the way back because people know that you've got money in your pocket. And so, Breno, can you tell us a little bit about how Visa Direct helps enable real-time money movement? If we think about Visa, and this is interesting because the first association that we do with Visa is the payment card company, typically a credit or debit card. However, what not many people know and is starting to know more is that Visa is much beyond the credit or debit card company. There is a network behind that use case that has been created and developed for more than 60 years that can be used for not only process a payment, but also to be used to transfer funds. So Visa enables and promotes the participants of the network to use the same infrastructure to send funds. So how does that happen? We can be sending funds from an originator that can be Visa Acquire or a bank into the card and not the other way around. When you're doing a purchase, you use your card at a merchant and what's going to happen? Your account is going to be debited by that transaction. That same account is an endpoint of the Visa network. In that same account can, besides of being debited, being credited. So this is one of the ways that Visa can help enable money movement. Besides sending to a card, Visa also has the capability to send directly to a bank account without the needs of that card number. And most recently, we expanded the reach of the network to also go directly to digital wallets. So virtually, we enable our participants to reach 7 billion endpoints capabilities. Visa Direct helps enable individuals access to endpoints like mobile wallets. So as you mentioned a few minutes ago, migrant workers sending money home is often cited as the number one use case for remittances. But of course, there are other use cases too that are emerging now. For example, in Latin America, it looks like intra-regional remittances have become more common. Breno, can you tell us a little bit about that and where you think the future of the growth in the number of remittances might be? If you look into remittances numbers, and let's take the World Bank numbers. In 2021, 780 billions were sent in inflows of remittance or were received in remittance, send and receive it. This is a global number. Latin America is primarily a receiving region. So there are two main markets that send to Latin America that are United States and Spain in general. We do have other markets that have some other relevant corridors, like for example, Brazil has an important corridor from Portugal to Brazil, Japan to Brazil. In great numbers, talking regionally, US and Spain are the largest senders. Latin America represents 17% of this total $780 billion that were sent in remittances. What is interesting is that most recently in the last years, there was a big migration of Latin Americans within the region. So you can see many migration from Venezuelans going to Colombia, to Panama, Dominican Republic, Haitians going to Brazil, Chile, 
Guatemalans going to Mexico, Nicaraguans going to Costa Rica. So the intra-region numbers of Latin America are becoming more and more relevant out of this pie, mostly because of the migrations of these workers that are going to different countries. So we do see a good opportunity on remittances to serve better these workers within the region as well. So when it comes to sending money across a border, of course, there's lots of factors to consider, but currency conversion is a big one. How does today's technology address this problem for both the sender and the receiver? I'd say that it's a real-time market today. So when you're sending money to another country, generally you're getting quotes on that exchange rate real-time. So the money that you're sending is really the the value won't change all that much within that day. We, we do have other markets where, unfortunately, the local currencies are just fluctuating incredibly. But what we've also seen is that, in general, those markets are pretty much dollar-based. So there's countries in Latin America and other places in the world that have like a dual system. So banks are issuing customers dollar-based accounts. So in many cases in Paya, when we're sending money to customers abroad, some of these transactions are dollar to dollars. Even though those countries have other currencies, we're still sending the dollars to dollar transactions. You mentioned that now it's also cheaper. And so I imagine there's a, a fair amount of variability across the world where the fees associated with remittance payments can be higher or lower. Either you or Breno, can you walk us through sort of some specific places in the world where things are more expensive and why that might be and other places where it's much cheaper? Yeah. And this is passing through a big transformation. If we take a look on the traditional remittance, what are the costs associated with that? There is a cost to manage cash. There is a security cost. There is the physical location, the labor associated. And besides that, there are all the indirect costs that are not intrinsic to the transaction. But the person has to take time, go to a physical location, wait in line. All of that is cost. So it's cost over cost. What you have observed with the digital remittance is that besides eliminating the person burden to have to go to a location and to spend and the security aspects, of course, eliminate all that overhead costs. And what is most interesting, when it's digital, the sender have the ability to compare price. The sender is more educated. He can see where he's going to have a better way of sending funds. And this increases a fair competition. Thus, pushing the costs down. And now the companies can offer a cheaper offer compared to the traditional remittances. So there are many differences across markets depends on how developed that corridor is and how many players are offering the service. So in Latin America, for example, we can see a big difference on costs between markets that are more developed, like, for example, Mexico, that can offer through multiple providers to send the remittances, versus markets that are not that well developed yet. For example, Chile is not a bigger receiver of remittances, so there are less competition driving the costs down. So this is talking from a receiver standpoint. So the consumer now 
has much more information to choose wise on how they want to send. And this, we have observed the cost of remittance has been dropping. There's a big difference between sending money in cash and sending money digitally. So generally, when we compare our offering, we benchmark prices. We look at those two differences because the opportunity cost of sending money digitally is, like Brenda says, it's not just the cost of the actual fees that you pay. It's also your time. It's your safety. It's many things, right? So that's really where the prices have been dropping significantly. And yeah, it's also a scarcity issue, like Brenda says. You have countries where there's not a lot of alternatives. I've heard of some countries in, for example, Venezuela, where it's just very hard to bring money in. So costs sometimes reach 20% of the transaction just to be able to disimburse cash. And it's done through some very manual and, and crazy mechanisms to get cash in people's hands. So there's this idea that remittances largely flow from higher income countries to developing ones. But of course, that's only one part of the story and maybe not even really that characteristic of the actual state of affairs. So for example, there's a lot of money now that's flowing to places like France and Germany to pay, say, foreign college tuition or or an overseas wedding, or the mortgage on a you know vacation home. Enrique, does Paya see any of these sort of larger sum transactions, and are they handled differently? We do, and we actually think it's a big opportunity as well. Because if you think about it, there's many SMEs, small and medium sized businesses, that do cross border business, not just from the U.S. to Mexico, for example, but from all over the world. And most of these today are handled either in cash or wire transfers. So there's a big, big, big opportunity to make these transfers more efficient, especially when it comes to smaller size payments, right? If you're sending maybe a couple thousand dollars, why not do it through your phone or an app and just send it quickly? So we see a big opportunity and we actually at Paya, we're starting to work on enabling payments from different SMEs in the U.S. to their vendors overseas. We do think it's a large market. It's something that will help make cross-border commerce easier and faster and safer. And in terms of the differences, I guess, like Breno said before, it's, it's not that different because we're just going from an endpoint to another endpoint in Visa's network. And really, that's what makes it so seamless and so easy if we can just plug those endpoints in and make the money flow. So we've talked about a couple of different corridors for remittances. Enrique, can you tell us about some of the corridors that Paya is seeing growth in and what typically happens in those regions? And then other areas where maybe the digitization of remittances does not seem to be growing at the same pace. Let me just start with a disclaimer that Paya is focused in Latin America for now. So we are only in the Caribbean, Central America, and South America, and Mexico. So it is a market which is the biggest corridor in the world. China as a country and India as countries are bigger from the U.S. than any individual country from the U.S. in Latin America. However, as a region, it's the largest corridor, and that's why we're focusing on it right now. What I can tell you is that there are some interesting differences in terms of digitization in each country. And it's ultimately what we are seeing is that the big challenge to receive money digitally is really not so much the penetration of having 
smartphones or internet, which is very high for the whole region. I believe it's close to 80% for the whole region. The challenge really is bank penetration. You go all the way from high 20s to maybe 80% in a country like Chile, but in the average, it's still very low. So that is where the real opportunity, and those are the differences where you see a lack of digital penetration because there's not enough access to the formal financial system. Something interesting, for example, is that in the DR, more than 50% of customers have access to a bank account versus Mexico, which is larger, but only around 40% of them do. Or Colombia, where 80% of customers that receive money from the U.S. have a bank account. So you see a lot of different numbers for the region, which are driven mostly by how advanced the financial system is and how successful the financial inclusion policies have been in those countries. Also, just if you look at the other side of the equation, which is you need to have both digital penetration and financial inclusion penetration in the U.S. to be able to get those outflows going. And the U.S. has done a great job on both counts. And what we've seen is that you know many still send money in cash because they don't know any other way. And that's our job right now to educate them and give them an easier way to move their funds in a way that they feel safe, that they know that that money is going to get to their recipient and change those behaviors. Are there some areas where adoption is low and where people are still relying heavily on traditional physical cash pickups? And can you talk a little bit about why that might be? For example, Mexico, 70% of all cash pickups are still done in cash. And the reason for that, you have evidently the bank penetration. So only 38% of people in Mexico have bank accounts. But that's changing very fast and that you have a, a lot of uh, neo banks, challenger banks, and even traditional banks that are realizing that they can now start to serve customers that maybe they couldn't serve in the past because it was just not profitable to do so. And now they're able to do so through digital offerings. So it has to go hand in hand. You need to have a digital penetration, which helps bring about the formal inclusion to the financial system. And we think that's a way that people are going to start moving through cash because it's also a cultural shift where people have to start feeling safe and they need to start feeling comfortable with moving their money in a, in a way that's digital. Breno, are there places in the world where the retailers there are more reluctant to accept digital wallet or prepaid card payments? And is there something that Visa is doing to sort of address that situation? For the acceptance side, and this is a very important aspect, you know, because one of the key success for the digital remittance is that the acceptance ecosystem in the receiving country is broad and have a reach big enough that the receiver also can have use of that remittance in a digital world. So there is no need to reconvert that remittance that was received into cash. Otherwise, you are breaking the whole digital ecosystem that is our vision to create worldwide. There are some places that are still not, I would say, covered enough with acceptance point of sales, but this is drastically changing because of new technologies and the smartphone penetration. What we have seen as well is these digital wallets are onboarding non-traditional bank customers. And one of the things that we have done is that with Visa Direct Network, 
we can enable our participants to reach directly to that digital wallet, not needing to necessarily have to have a payment card credential associated to the wallet. So this is part of the 7 billion endpoints that I referred before. If we look into what happened in the last two years post-pandemic, there was a big shift into the digital remittances. Before pandemic, that number were around 15%, more or less, on digital originated or digital end-to-end. What do I say digital originated? It was funded on the origination country by card or a bank account, but it was received in the destination country by cash. And the digital end-to-end is both originated and received digitally. We're talking about 15% pre-pandemic. Now, that number is about a third of the total remittances worldwide. So think about that. Even with the pandemic effect, there is still a large room to grow to digital remittances become more prominent. And part of the success of that is that the receiving ecosystem has also to be digital. And this is where we are going towards. It's not only about the remittance, no, it's the overall holistic ecosystem. You know, the pandemic was one type of global disaster. And of course, we have many other examples of natural disasters in places like Haiti or Indonesia, conflicts that displace people like Ukraine. And I imagine that it feels more satisfying from the human side for a person to be able to give money directly to an impacted victim or migrant from these places. You know, when I think about helping people displaced by the war in Ukraine, I wonder if either one of you can speak to a little bit about the impact that this kind of digitization, the faster payment options enabled by Paya and Visa Direct are helping people feel the sense or get the sense that they can help people who are affected by these challenging situations directly. Sure. This is one of the key aspects of why having a digital remittance is helping the world to be a better place. So when these disasters happen, the person cannot be waiting two days to be receiving support. So this is where we together are bringing digital solutions that this person has helped And I can say I'm very fortunate to be able to work in something with a purpose because I can see the benefit that what we do has in people's life. And especially living in Miami, where great part of the population is from foreign-born people. And I see that on my day-to-day, how many people are not even aware that they have better ways to send remittances. And every time I can educate these people on better ways for them to help family and friends on their home, I feel very grateful. So I think that is a very tangible benefit that this brings to the society as a whole. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think for me too, one of the most interesting parts is thinking about the human side, how this network really influences people's lives. Enrique, what does it mean to you personally to be involved in helping people and their families thrive and deal with disasters and gain increased access to and control of the fruits of their work? As you can probably uh, imagine by my name and my accent, I'm from Mexico and many Mexican households depend 
on money from the US and other countries to make ends meet. So I've seen it firsthand how many people, neighbors, people around you say from one day to the other, you know what, I'm going to leave for the US because I found a great job and I think I can do a better job in supporting my family and sending money. And they'll come here. Sometimes they'll go back once they've had accumulated enough money. Sometimes they stay here in the U.S. But the main thing is that they are working and they are sacrificing to give their families in Mexico and other countries a better future and give them better opportunities at education and lifestyle. So for me, it's very important to be able to make it easier and to give people a way to make it seamless, make it safer, make it convenient, make it cheaper. It's very important for, you know, for me and very rewarding that we can give them a channel by which they don't need to go to a store and, and spend half of the day in line and depositing cash. They can just take out their phone, a couple taps, they can send the money and they know that their family member will be able to go and buy their groceries or pay the tuition for the school. So it's very rewarding and it's very important to me because I've seen it firsthand what that necessity is and how people make so many sacrifices to reach the US and other developing countries so that they can help support their families back home. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So on Money Travels, we like to end each episode with some rapid-fire questions. So if you could answer in a few words, if you're ready, I'm going to start now. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Bring it up. Okay. All right. Enrique, what developing technology do you predict will change once again how money moves between people and across borders? I'm going to say crypto. I think it's not ready for prime time, but I think crypto has a lot of potential in helping create borderless payment methods. Breno, what do you think you'll miss most if cash no longer exists? Well, I don't think I will miss anything other than to be looking to those bills, to touch the bills, seeing the security details, seeing the watermark and showing to my kids, oh, look, this beautiful picture. Breno, where in Latin America would you be most likely to send cash? Yeah, I'm originally from Brazil, so sometimes I have to send money over there. I never send cash. I send it digitally. <laughs> My wife is also from Dominican Republic, so sometimes you have to send money over there. And of course, you send it digitally. All right. Point taken. <laughs> Enrique, what do you think is overrated when it comes to financial technology? I want to say the hype around the crypto again. <laughs> so... <laughs> Same answer. I love crypto and I think it's it's going to revolutionize payments. Enrique, what aspect of money movement can be more complicated than people think? Oh, I'm going to say that the, the compliance side of things, every single country, and it should, as it should be, has uh, different regulations and different requirements. So it is sometimes a very challenging task to keep on top of that and making sure you're compliant with every single one of them. And Breno, last one's for you. Can you predict the future of money movement with a single catchy phrase? Well, it will be fast, secure, convenient to everyone everywhere. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, thank you both of you so much for being thank on you. Money Travels. Thanks again to Breno and Enrique for joining us on the show today and talking about the work being done to ensure that people around the world are able to help their families back home. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Money Travels. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow the show and leave us a review so more people can find it. Until next time, I'm Indre Viscontis, and this has been Money Travels, presented by Visa. Visa.